You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 163 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abual Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Rebecca Lynn from Rebecca Drives. And Dan is off busy doing battle with a server this evening, so he's he won't be joining us. Uh, Rebecca, you've been driving a bunch of stuff uh, since we last recorded. Uh, why don't you start off? I have been driving. It was very exciting, actually. So I went on two media events last week. The first was the 2021 Subaru Crosstrek. Uh, this is actually, a, it's, a, it's a vehicle that I've, I really have liked for a long time. I think it's a great size. It kind of falls in that like compact crossover. Uh, it's still five passenger and it's, it's, you know, not the roomiest thing, but it's such a great city car if you want to have that off-road feel. Um, and it's probably going to handle some of those potholes in this many cities better than other <laughs> vehicles for sure. But um, this one is, it's, they consider it fully redesigned. It is on a global platform now. And, but it, it looks familiar, which I like. Like you're not going to look and say, well, what the heck did they do to the Crosstrek? It, it's just, they just dialed it up a little bit. The interior is really, really nice. They did a great job on the interior. It also has uh, a new engine. There, there's two engine options, actually. One is a 2.0 liter which, with 152 horsepower. The one that I tested was a 2.5 liter, 182 horsepower, so 30 more horsepower. Uh, the lower engine, the, the smaller engine comes in a six-speed manual, and then the upper engine uh, is an automatic, which is what, what, what I tested. Of course, all Subarus have all-wheel drive um, to them. and At least in North America. At least in North America, yes. And um, this one has uh, 1,500 pounds of towing capacity and 8.7 inches of ground clearance. And years ago, um, gosh, I'm, soon after the vehicle came out, actually, I actually wrote about the, I looked at the some of the best vehicles in a post-Hurricane Sandy world. And the Crosstrek was actually my number one pick because it got really good fuel economy and it had really good ground clearance. So it was especially of note when I looked at that. Um, fuel economy was about 
combined, you're going to get about 27, 28, 29. It's rated at 29. And I would say I got somewhere pretty close to that driving through um, and pretty, pretty aggressive driving actually through the hills uh, of Virginia. So it was lovely to be back on the road and it was, uh, it, the, the flight was maybe a third full. I did have to go to JFK, fly out of JFK to Dulles because they're not doing the Delta shuttle out of LaGuardia anymore. Uh, so hopefully that will come back. But Delta did a really, really good job. They have, you know, all the middle seats are empty if you, if you can. And if not, it might, this was a, this is a, a two and two setup uh, on a CRJ 900. So, but again, there was 15 people on the flight. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was 14 and then 14 people on the flight down and 15 people on the flight back. So it was pretty, uh, it was pretty sparse. But um, back to the car. So overall, I just think, you know, the, the Crosstrek is just one of those just comfortable, fun, urban vehicles that does a lot of things really well. It has really nice athletic refinement. It was quiet on the road. I did have it up to about 50 on some of the gravel, the soft gravel roads, and I slammed on the brakes just to see what would happen. Nobody else was around. It was an easy thing to do. And that thing stayed so straight and true. It really made me feel good about, you know, being on the road in this thing because there was clearly some really nice torque vectoring going on. And it just, it just settled right in. Like it was like, okay, this is what we want to do. We're going to stop for you right now. And I loved that sort of that, that feeling of confidence that it inspired. Of course, there's an absolute ton of accessories that you can get. Uh, there's this um, really thick, padding a uh, thick rubber uh, liners that come in with the cargo area and then you can actually get them on the backs of the second row seats so if you put the whole entire seat down you have this floor uh, with a heavy rubberized floor basically so that you can put all sorts of gear so if you're in there regularly and carrying big stuff you, you can have a protected surface there a big or wet stuff okay right so you want to throw a damp daisy in there <laughs> you can <laughs> you know which is great and it was you know short money i mean the the list of accessories were it was very long and they're all you know 100 bucks here 200 there they're not trying to gouge you so and and, it can, and you can really personalize it on the subaru site when you go to build the cross track you can really pick and choose Are are those things like dealer installed accessories or you know, things For like the, the most part, you can order them. Yeah. You can order them with the vehicle okay. uh, and then you can, you can add them after as well. So, uh, so something like those, those rubberized covers, yeah. are, is that something that's easily taken out if you, absolutely. If you didn't want? Okay. Yes, absolutely. It comes with the, so the cargo bay area comes with the rubberized mat and then the back of the seat maps uh, mats they just kind of click on okay. they're, they're like hooked in there so it's almost like floor mats okay. you know you can just you can interchange them very easily so the one so the base on this is 23295 and that includes a thousand dollars of destination and then as tested mine came in at just over twenty nine thousand, uh and and that includes destination so you know, I, I did the limited, which is the top of the line. They also had the sport there, which I think is a little bit less expensive. Sorry, let me just get some water. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that 23,000 and change price, you know, for the base price, you know, for a car that's standard with all wheel drive is actually pretty reasonable. That's, 
you, I think you'd, it'd be hard pressed to find another all wheel drive vehicle for much less than that. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we talk a lot about pricing on, I think that we're all, you know, pretty practical and frugal in many ways um, about, try to be. well, we try, you know, yeah. there's an occasional, <laughs> uh, we're not going to, we're not going to turn our noses up at anything, <laughs> but I think that, you know, when I look at, at what you're getting for $29,000, I think that's just, it's fantastic. It, it really is. And I should correct myself. I actually got 26 miles per gallon in aggressive driving is what I wrote in combined. <laughs> um, so standard, standard Rebecca driving then. Like standard Rebecca driving, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I just, obviously Subaru has, you know, a great <laughs> legacy, kidding. Uh, but, you know, they have a great history of, of, you know, animal welfare and environmental awareness. They do have a vegan option. So they have leather seats and then they also have a vegan option that actually is free of chlorine, of PVC, of, you know, obviously animal products and such. So, which is a nice touch. Like that's something that, you know, is important to, particularly to a Subaru buyer. And so they acknowledge that, they celebrate that and and they do offer a vegan option. And, you know, to uh, reference Daisy, who you mentioned earlier, um, you know, she proudly wears her Subaru dog tag that I got from, ah. for her at the Chicago Auto Show every day. I mean, yes, it's on that's her collar awesome. every day. So. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, if you're in that market for that compact crossover, I mean, this is really, you know, I feel like the Subaru Crosstrek is really the perfect either college car, if you can afford it, or post-college car because you're still going to be hauling stuff around. If you're like most college kids, you're still going to be hauling stuff around. You're going to be throwing stuff in there. Your friends are going to be moving. You're going to be moving. You know, it's that, it's that kind of just really good where you've got the utility that you need, but you don't feel like you're hauling around a bunch of car that you don't need when, if it's just you driving. So I just, I, it's, it's the so modern equivalent of, of what I had in college. You know, when I was in college, I drove an 84 GMC S15 pickup back when nice. compact pickups were actually, you know, compact um, and they were dirt cheap, you know, and, you know, today, if you want a, a you know, anything close to that, you know, the closest you're going to get is going to cost you, you know, 30 grand or more, yeah. you know, and oftentimes upwards of 40 grand for, you know, for a smaller pickup. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, something like this, you know, is the perfect kind of vehicle for, you know, a college student or a recent grad, uh, you know, where you are moving around, you've got, or, you know, I mean, anybody else that, you know, needs to, needs to haul stuff around, you know, I think it's got a, a decent amount of cargo space in there. Yeah. Beats the down, right? It does. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great empty nester vehicle also. Mm -hmm. what I, one of the things I love about it for that flexible lifestyle that people have, you know, after, when, you know, like you and your wife, like, you know, some, but sometimes kids come home or you need to do stuff. Like it's just, there's a, there's just the right amount of cargo that you need. You're not going to be moving an entire apartment in this thing, but you are going to help a friend out with it. And again, what I love is that it's the, the cargo and the flexibility is there, but you don't feel like you're hauling around too much ass when it's not there, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's big enough to take a couple of pieces of Ikea furniture. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, it does come with eyesight with the Subaru. Uh, Is that standard? So a, a lower a lower version, like a base version is standard. And then you have to, uh, you have to bump up 
to the to get uh, the full complement of okay. safety features, which is unfortunate because you know we always like it when they try and include as much um, in in the standard package as possible. Well, it looks like uh, it looks like eyesight um, at least yeah, the basic version of eyesight. Uh, that's standard does include adaptive cruise control and lane centering. It does. And that's so, new for them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause that was previously an extra cost option. So now you get it on everyone. Yes, you do. Um, I always like to see, and I apologize. I, I knew this um, last week when I was, when I was working on my review, cause I always like to see whether it has um, the blind spot monitoring or and the rock, rear cross traffic alert. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the things that you have to, that you have to upgrade to. So, right. so I say, so driver assist technology, it's standard on the sport and limited, which is actually all they had us drive. Uh, and then the, the lower trim levels, the base and the premium, it's optional on there. Um, blind spot detection and rear cross traffic alert is optional on premium and sport, but standard on limited. The limited that I drove really had, had, everything in terms of options that you could get. But, you know, overall though, they've got a lot of safety features. Um, obviously, you know, daytime running lights, they've got the rear vision camera on there. Uh, and, but you do have to, you know, again, I, I would love to see like blind spot monitoring included in that, but yeah. at least it's, it's an option. Yeah. At least it's good that it's available, but yeah, I agree. It should, that's one that should be part of the standard package for everybody. Um, yes. And, you know, for, for those not familiar with eyesight, I think I can't remember if we've talked about it before, but you know, this is a little bit different from a lot of the adaptive cruise control systems. Most ACC uses a radar sensor. Uh, and then you also typically have a camera as well for the lane keeping assist. Um, and the, the radar sensors used to measure the, the distance to the car ahead of you. Uh, eyesight is a stereo vision camera. So two cameras um, and they're using the parallax between the two cameras to try to get that depth perception. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've, I've found that it generally works pretty well, surprisingly well. Um, but you know, it's, you know, obviously like any camera system, it's going to have limitations in bad weather or, you know, fog when you probably shouldn't be using, AC right. uh, cruise control anyway. <laughs> anyway, but. and I will say that one of the things, so, so the two cameras that, that you referenced, they're on either side of the um, rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. And that makes the casement for the rear view mirror very large okay. in that windscreen. So I, when I first got set up, I noticed that the, the front A pillar was quite narrow, which actually it turns out that there's high strength steel in there. So that was cool because they, they did that. They, they were very conscious of the fact that that pillar needed to be narrow. And that, in, in, that impedes my visibility because I sit so close to the car. But then out of my right eye, the corner of my right eye, I was like, what am I seeing? Well, this is so weird. And then I realized that it, it was one of the eyesight casements. So it, it was something that once, it's kind of like once I knew it, it disappeared, but it was definitely distracting at times. And again, I think it's more just because I sit up close that I was very conscious of it. And after a while, it didn't bother me. But, uh, but it is important to know that you know, that you do have to kind of look it's, at that. It's a larger package. It's a larger package than yeah. what you find in most cars. Cause you know, so mo most cars you have a single camera 
And that package is usually, you know, above and in front of the mirror. So the mirror, you know, is between you and that package with the camera in it. And right. it usually doesn't extend out beyond the sides of the mirror. So, right. so it's, it's, it's in an area where it's not generally going to impede your vision anyway, because the mirror's there. Um, but because those cameras need to be farther apart to, to, in order to do that depth measurement, that package is inherently larger uh, with the eyesight system than it is. With oh, others. so that, right. And that makes sense. So they do have to have a certain, um, a certain width apart. Yeah. As you say it to get that angle. Okay. Yeah. So that was the only, and again, it, it's in, it's in no way, shape or form a reason not to purchase this vehicle. Right. <laughs> you know, it just, again, it's just, you know, I always like to talk about things that I just notice when I'm driving and it was, it was kind of just something that I thought, what is that? But Overall, I was really, really happy with this vehicle. It was just, you know, it was just such a good, solid car. And again, for that price point, for under thirty grand to get a fully loaded, because that was the limited, you know, that's just, I mean, that's just serious. The the Sport Track is twenty six four ninety five. The limited is twenty seven nine ninety five. So you know, you're still. I mean, just to get into that range, I think it's just a fantastic vehicle to get that all-wheel drive, to get those, you know, a good Subaru Boxer engine out of it, uh, to get decent fuel economy, you know, and those safety features. It's just, there's there's a lot, they've packed a lot into that vehicle. Yeah. Now all they got to do is stuff a WRX engine in it. <laughs> <You're> perfect. <laughs> or an STI engine. <laughs> you know, um, they, it was surprising though. It, it was... It had it had enough pep. I would have obviously loved to have had a manual, but um, but they did a good job with it, though. Yeah, you know, uh, 185, you know, 100, 180, 85 horsepower, whatever it is, you know, is plenty for almost everything. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, what did you have after that when you got back? So after that, I I actually drove another off road vehicle. I got the chance to drive the brand new Land Rover Defender. And I'm not going to lie. I like, I kind of jumped up and down and down in excitement when they <laughs> invited me. <laughs> and I, I was, I will be the first to admit I was a last minute ad. And uh, ironically, uh, the reason that they had a spot was because one of our friends, Brian, I couldn't go. And the reason he couldn't go was because he lives in Maryland and the state of Maryland is on the quarantine list. Oh, so you got to be quarantined for two weeks when you come into New York. Right. But I actually saw him at the Subaru event, (laughs) which is how we did this math. And at first I was like, wait a minute. So he infected you and then you infected (laughs) everybody else. But fortunately, I was I came back early from Virginia because I was done and I was like, why not just come back early, which is a good thing because you if you're in a state less than 24 hours, you don't have to quarantine. So I was in Virginia for 23 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So so on to the Defender. So the Land Rover Defender, it's back in the States. I think it left in 1997. Uh, it, only, it was actually only sold in the States for a few years. So they're very rare and they're incredibly collectible and they go for outrageous sums of money um, for these really stripped down vehicles. But so the new Defender's back. They started production back in January, got interrupted by COVID. 
Uh, they were able to deliver vehicles in June, and now they've, there's about 2,000 of them on the road. But the media is just getting a chance to drive them because everything's been on hold. So uh, we, we were driving the uh, 2020 Land Rover Defender 110. There are six different trim lines in the 2020. There's actually seven in 2021. But this, the SE I had was kind of in that middle trim line, which is actually really what I prefer anyway. I like that. I've always kind of bought in that range. So the base price is actually $49.9 for the, the base Defender. The version that I had was $71,000. It had about $9,000 worth of accoutrements on it, mostly related to the extensive off-road that we ended up doing with it. Um, you know, the, the Defender, when you look at it, it's it's pretty square, frankly. Uh, it as does it harken be. as it should be. Uh, it does harken back very much to the design. The front of it, you know, we talked a lot about the Bronco really looking so much like the Bronco. The front of the Defender kind of looks like it. It, it sort of echoes it a little bit. Certainly, the the silhouette is more representative of traditional Defender, but you could you still know what this thing is when it's on the road. So. I I not I had so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was hard at work. Believe me, it was very hard work. Uh, we took this, so we drove up to picked up in Jersey, drove up to the Land Rover Experience Center um, up in Manchester, Vermont. So at first, when I saw we were going to Vermont, I'm like you got to be kidding me, but it's actually just about three hour drive. So we were. It was interesting because we were initially just on the highway with the thing, and then you know, which which was a good experience because you think of these vehicles as just being off road, but it was actually incredibly well behaved on the highway, even though it has this appearance of being very high. It has three ride heights that you can adjust manually or, you know, with a button. So it, I put it in access mode and then that let me get in easily enough. And then there's like the normal travel mode. And then when you're off-road, you can raise it up another few, five, actually goes, I think it's as high as five inches from the access mode. So you definitely can tell the difference, but on the highway, it just, it didn't ride tall. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's does, it have, some... does it have air springs? Oh, you asked me these engineering <laughs> questions. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Never I feel mind. like it does. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. I'll I look it up like... while you talk. Okay. I, I believe it does. I know it has different, a variety of differentials. The rear differential is center diff and then the front. It doesn't have a front diff. I believe okay. it's, it's I got an optional electric uh, air suspension. So, yeah. Okay, that's, so mine's, that's what that's what allows you to have the varying ride heights. Oh, so okay. Get, so, so you can get coils or air springs. So mine probably had it, and I apologize for the shuffling paper while I grab the. I thought I had my Moroni here um, that they gave me. I don't. Um, so yeah. So once on the road, then it was really quiet, and this thing's got you know big fat tires on it and stuff like it. It shouldn't have been as good on the highway as it was, but they did a really nice job with it. So we drove it up there about a couple of hours. And, and one of the things I noticed, the seats were incredibly comfortable. They have this really nice surrounding bolster kind of feel to them. And I had the 14-way uh, heated and cooled seats. And 
I mean, you could get exactly, you could say. 14-way heated and cool. So is that like 14 different settings or? No, 14-way. A 14-way adjustment and they're heated and cooled. Adjustment and heated and cooled. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) 14-way and heated and cooled. Okay. And so I, so I was able to, you know, get it exactly how I wanted it to. And the cool thing was that the way that you, instead of having extra buttons for like the, the climate of your seat, they actually, you can actually access it through the dial that you set your temperature. So you set your HVAC temperature and then you press it again and that becomes your heated and cooled set settings as well which was really clever. Like it's a nice use of, of a dial. So it's multifunctional dials that, uh, that actually then when you're off-road, they do other things as well. So the inside is very clean and these dials have um, multiple uses, which is really cool to, to take advantage of, of the technology that they certainly didn't have the last time this vehicle was, <laughs> was anywhere around. Yeah, well, the, the, the last Defender was, you know, designed you know, in the wake of World War II. And it was basically unchanged for, you know, 60 years until it finally went out of production. Exactly. This is, this is all new. It's better. Yeah. You know, and and the thing, you know, the thing I like is it's not, it's not in any way a retro design. You know, I mean, in terms of it's the basic profile, it's obviously, you know, very reminiscent of, you know, the classic Defender, but there's, you look at this thing, it's thoroughly modern. There's nothing retro about it. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's a very, very modern interpretation, but it's recognizable also. And actually for 2021, and it's kind of, it's funny because we're sort of in this weird time warp because they're like, you can't even build 2020s anymore. And yet that's all that we had available to drive. So on the website, it's all 2021s because that's what ordinarily would be coming out now. And, but we're just getting a chance to drive it. So we're, we're like six months behind everything. So on the 2021, on the base, uh, the, the 110 Defender, they actually have an option for steel wheel, steel rims like oh, nice. really stripped out, right? Which is awesome. So they kind of, they had this almost, they didn't mean it, but it, it almost ended up being a soft launch for the 2020s. And now the 2021s are really going to have some cool stuff. They're coming out with a, a cloth roof and there's talk of doing some really special things with this iconic vehicle. You know, there's, they gave us a, a book about it. That's like almost two inches thick, you know, <laughs> and it just filled with, with, you know, just the history of this vehicle. So, but can you take the doors off? So, <laughs> You cannot take the doors off and you can't take the roof off, but that doesn't mean that you won't be able to at some point in time. <laughs> oh, okay. So they've, they've seen Wrangler and seen Bronco and decided, okay, maybe we need removable doors. I think at some point we may see this really being able to be as stripped down as you want it to be. They, they, as I said, that on the base one, they're going to have the steel rims, but then they also have this Defender X, which is, has all the same off-road capabilities, which we still have to get into, but is very luxurious inside. So they've, the one that I had, that SE was a nice balance of, of a, a leather and cloth interior, 
you know, all the, all the features that you could want and, you know, but durable, but more durable. Uh, it had, uh, you know, more hard plastics than you would normally expect from Range Rover, from Land Rover, but that's because it's supposed to be a, a more athletic outdoorsy more experience, more, a much more vehicle. rugged lifestyle. Exactly. So, so we got, we got up to what they call the Ellery, L-R-E, the Land Rover Experience Center. And, and I should clarify, those are open. So there's only three in the U.S. There's one in, in, in Vermont, there's one in Palm Springs, and then there's one, um, oh, it just went out of my head as my cat walks in. Uh, and these things, they, anybody can go to them. They have vehicles that you can use there. You don't need to be a Land Rover owner. So if you just want to get better at going off-road, they have the most incredible instructors that were so good. They were, they were positive and constructive and just, they were absolutely fantastic. So I actually want to try and go at some point on my own um, because you can learn so much about going off road, you know, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And so, so that was, that was just a really, really cool experience to have. So there's one, there's, oh, North Carolina, of course. uh, Carmel is the one in California. Yes, so there's one in Carmel, one in California, Vermont, and in North Carolina. And so for, we're for those who live north of the border, there's also one in Quebec. Uh, oh, fantastic! Mont- Montebello, Quebec. Oh, nice, perfect. Yeah, and and again, the idea that you can go and you don't have to be a, a Land Rover owner was really really cool, and that was I thought that was great information. If you want to learn how to do off road, if you want to learn. Uh, you know, from really, really experienced people. So we had, we had. How would they feel if we turned up with a new Bronco? Oh, <laughs> they would probably be all over it. They would probably crawl all over that thing. <laughs> Say, give us five hours with it first, uh, and then you can go play. Yeah, exactly. No, I think they'd be all over that. So you know, so so this it has. It has, as you mentioned, the, the electronic air suspension, um, these adaptive dynamics, terrain response, hill launch, uh, low traction launch, all these, all the, any kind of off-road, sophisticated off-road capability that you need, that's on the base model. Like that's how they all come, which I think is just amazing. And, and again, the way that you access it is, is through these dials and it all comes up on the screen. And what was just first your infotainment system suddenly becomes your off-road hub. And it's got three different cameras for the outside. So you can see exactly where your vehicle is. You've got different, you can do the selection right there. And then there's auto, which is actually primarily the only thing that we left it in. We did change it one time. We were going up a really steep hill that was, um, I should have asked the grade on it. It was pretty aggressive and we put it in climbing mode and it climbed up the hill for us which was really fun. Nice. And then you take over and then you, we went, uh, we turned around and we went back down uh, the other side of the hill in hill descent control, which I will be the first one to admit, I have a really hard time giving up control, but you basically, <laughs> all you have to do is steer. You don't touch the brakes, you don't touch the accelerator. But the reality is that that vehicle is gonna drive that hill better than I can. <laughs> and so by giving up control, I was actually safer. It was kind of a bummer and it scared me, but 
but it was good. It was a great experience. So we went, you know, there wasn't a lot of water, unfortunately. We've had a pretty dry summer here. So uh, we couldn't do the full on water, water fording um, that the vehicle can do. But, you know, overall, it's just, it's, it's such a fun vehicle to take in that really authentic off-road manner. And then to turn around and have it so well-behaved on-road. I mean, we drove, so we ended up having a COVID issue where we couldn't stay overnight in Vermont. So we had to drive an extra almost 50 minutes at the end of the day and then turn around and drive back again. So all told, I think we, I put about 500 miles on that car. Wow. In the course of two days. Did, did you then drive back to New York afterwards? So then, well, yes. So so I drove from, from the headquarters in Jersey up to Manchester, Vermont, over to Saratoga Springs, New York, back to the Ellery in Vermont, then down to this town called Kasaki, I think it is, to this amazing, fabulous semi kind of camping hotel where we each had our own little cabin um, and in upstate New York. And then we had about a two and a half hour drive to the headquarters, but I actually stopped at home, which was super fun to bring my media car home, <laughs> showed my, showed my family, got a chance to, you know, show my mom and my sisters, my brother-in-law and my niece and show them how the car goes up and down automatically. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, so then, and then I drove to Maui, New Jersey, which is about an hour from where I live. And then I had to drive back home an hour. <laughs> so it was a lot of driving that was from early Thursday morning until Saturday afternoon-ish. Um, but I gotta tell you, it was incredibly comfortable for, for a vehicle that is so good off-road, for it to be so well-behaved on-road, that was really, really impressive. It was yeah, impressive. You know, that, that's, that's an amazing thing, you know, that we've seen over the last 15 or 20 years, really more in the last 10 years, I guess, is you know, as they, as, as these things have matured, you know, you're no, you no longer have to sacrifice, you know, having off-road, incredible off-road capability does not mean that you're going to be bouncing around, you know, when you're driving on public, you know, on, on paved roads, you know, it's right. It, 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 you can have a vehicle that can do it all. Right. Exactly. I mean, it was amazing. And, and with just, just the, the, the touch of a button or the turn of a dial, you know, that's what's incredible is that the electronics that are available today are just absolutely phenomenal. And I, you know, I'm probably leaving out so much of, of what this vehicle can do, but, you know, we were, we were climbing up rocks. We were, we were going, driving through mud. We didn't have any snow, unfortunately, but it could certainly handle that. Next week, they're having a group of journalists out in that Carmel Valley area in the sand dunes. You know, it's just, it was incredibly capable. There was, um, you know, there's some of the vehicles were equipped with a, with a winch that you could put on it, which they needed to use in other groups. Fortunately, nobody in our group got into that much trouble, but you know, you can just do a lot with these things. I think they each tow 7,500 pounds, um, which is, you know, enough for a, a you know, recreational vehicle or something like that. And you know, at the same time, got about, so overall, got about 17 miles per gallon, but that includes all the off-roading. 
So I would say on road, I probably was got in the twenties uh, for highway driving. And by the way, this thing is fast. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to assume that, you know, the ones you drove were the mild hybrid, not the, the base version. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I was just getting so. to that. So there's two engine types. There's a 2.0 liter in line four, 300 horsepower. And there's a 3.0 liter in line six, that mild hybrid, 400 horsepower, eight speed automatic. It did have uh, a pretty transparent stop start uh, that was very, very good. Uh, you know, just immediate power. I mean, it was, you could just, you could get this thing up there should you need to. Uh, it, it was, it was really cool. It, it was a really, really nice vehicle. I mean, after, even after all that driving, I didn't want to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to let it go. I could have kept that one. <laughs> I, I can, I can sympathize with that. Um, so uh, what did you drive back from uh, JLR headquarters? So that's my next week's car. Okay. But I am currently driving the Honda Civic Type R with the six-speed manual transmission. And it's just, it's, it's cartoon on wheels. It's so <laughs> much fun. It's a riot. My only goal this week is to not get a speeding ticket because the last <laughs> time that I had a Honda Civic, I did get pulled over. I didn't get a ticket. But I think I probably would this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the last ticket I got was in a Type R. Uh, oh, was the, it really? On the, on the media drive in Washington State. So. <gasps> oh no. Yeah. But uh, we can discuss that another time. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So Land Rover's back, and it's okay. and it's awesome. Any anything else uh, you want to talk about driving? Oh my gosh, I've. This is like the Rebecca podcast. I, I can, I can certainly uh, and understand why you would want to forget the other one. But, yeah. <laughs> so I actually, so the the third vehicle, the vehicle that I actually drove uh, to meet up with the Land Rover people in New Jersey, was a Toyota Avalon Hybrid, and this was a really, really good vehicle. And what what was probably one of the more remarkable things about this was how many people stopped me to talk about the way that it looks because it's a really sharp looking vehicle. And this is in Greenwich, like where everybody sees everything. I mean, I was, I was at the main Greenwich post office and somebody came over and said, I got to look at this thing. What is this? And I'd said, it's the Toyota Avalon. He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but they've just done a really sharp job with this Avalon. Um, it's, it's a hybrid. It's absolutely terrific. I mean, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. it. It gets 43 miles per gallon. That's what I got. I, you, I love the fact that I just kept forgetting that it was a hybrid because it's just that good. Like it just, it's, and you know, I'm always about the idea of if you're going to give me an alternative powertrain, don't, I don't want it to be weird. And I don't want it to be something that is a compromise on the whole driving experience and they just did a great job with this you know i i drove down to uh, new jersey with a lot of traffic and it just it the responsiveness was there when i needed it and then the you know adaptive cruise control was very good with it it just overall it was just it was really good so so i was i was really really happy with it i'm glad that they made it in a hybrid and i'm glad that it's not 
it's not something that you have to compromise about yeah, I mean, at all. You know, this is this is the same hybrid setup that is now in a whole bunch of Toyota vehicles: uh, <clears throat> the Rav Four, the Camry, the Highlander. Uh, you name it. You know, it's the two point five liter. Ironically, I don't think it's in the Prius, though. Is it? No. Well, it, <laughs> the hybrid part, the electric part is the same, although I think with a little bit less electric power than what's okay. in here. Yeah. Um, and the Prius has a 1.8 liter engine. So these, oh, these all a have 2. a 2.5. It's a 2.5 with yeah. you know, all the all the other applications. Yeah. So it also, it had the, um, it had the eCVT and, and I should have mentioned this about the Crosstrek also. That CVT was one of the best that I had driven. There was absolutely no whine to it. It was really, really good. This uh, ECVT is also very, very good. It was really minimal wine to it. And it just, it got, I mean, 43 miles per gallon without feeling like you're getting 43 miles per yeah. gallon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like without feeling it's like got, you're compromising. It's got, de- it's got decent performance, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not an exciting powertrain. You know, it certainly doesn't sound great. You know, no. you know, it's got the classic Toyota hybrid, you know, engine revs up, you know, you stand on an engine revs up to 3,500, 4,000 RPM and stays there while you accelerate, you know, but aside from that, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not a race car, right? No, no, and again, I'm, I'm thinking back to my experience. This, this is not the Toyota that won Le Mans last weekend. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm thinking back to my experience with the Prius just a couple months ago where that was just, I felt like I was always compromising in that vehicle for the sake of, of fuel economy. Mm-hmm. And that's not the feeling that I had with the Toyota Avalon hybrid is that I felt like that hybrid was a bonus as opposed to something that I had to tolerate. I, I wonder how much of the attention it got in Greenwich is because of this massive grill that it has now. I mean, certainly that was part of it. The I mean, it's, it's a good-looking is... car. I mean, you know, it's a sharp, you know, it's a nice, sleek four-door sedan, big four-door sedan. It uh, is. But it does have a monstrous grill. It does. It does. And the one I had was like a deep ruby red with all blackout oh, yeah, on I'm it. Oh, sure yeah, So, helped. you know, it was, it was, it's a head-turner for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is kind of fun then to have, and again, a vehicle that has such good fuel economy without having to sacrifice style and design and, 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 and really, you know, on many levels performance, you know, inside the interior is really well laid out. I hate that Entune system. We've gone over that before. Um, I was able to use Android auto though. So that was fine. And you know, just overall, I think it was just a really good experience. If you need, if you if you want a sedan with a good amount of room to it, and you want good fuel economy, forty three miles per gallon, I think this is a really good choice. So the the one that I drove came in at just over forty two thousand, uh, and it actually retails for. I mean, the base is about thirty nine and change for it. So, you know, a lot of safety features on it, and um, and just. I was just, I was really pleased with it. I think it was a really good vehicle. I enjoyed it. I had a good week. All right. So I had a couple of cars that were quite different. Uh, First up, Cadillac CT4V. And I I still keep wanting to say ATS-V every time I think about it. Because, you know, it actually still, it looks a lot like the ATS did. You know, this is is the replacement in the lineup for the ATS. Um, You know, the front, you know, you know, changed quite a bit but the you know the rest of the shape of the car it doesn't have that 
that fastback shape that the CT5 does. You know, it, it retained, you know, closer to a classic sedan shape that the, the old ATS had. Um, and, you know, as we talked about previously, you know, earlier this year, I think, you know, when they first announced the uh, CT5V and the uh, CT4V, you know, the V models now are not what the previous generation Vs were. Those are coming up still with the Blackwing editions. Ah. V now is, you know, more like what, uh, you know, with BMW, what an M Sport is. Okay. Okay. So you, you kind of get the look, some of the look of, mm. of what was a V, uh, but you don't get all of the performance. All the personality. Yeah. And Got especially it. the personality. Okay. Um, so let me start with the base CT4. I like it. You know, I like the size of the car. For, for me, you know, a, a compact sedan, um, you know, is a good size. You know, it, it, you know, this is comparable to a 3 Series or, you know, an Audi A4. Um, you know, so I, I, I personally like the size better than I like the size of a CT5. Right. Um, granted, that. you know, the back seat is uh, tighter. You know, you're not going to have as much leg room in the back of this one as you do in the CT5. The CT5. You have a corgi. You have a corgi. Yeah. She doesn't need a lot of leg room. That's true. That's, that's, <laughs> that is very true. Um, you know, the CT5, you know, has a much, much more ample back seat, uh, you know, for carrying adults. The CT4, you know, is more, you know, kids and occasional, you know, for, for adults for shorter trips. You know, not, not that it's tiny, but it, it's definitely tighter than the CT5. Um you know, a lot of the rest of the interior, very similar, you know, to other contemporary Cadillacs like the X-T6 and the, and the CT5. <clears throat> same basic infotainment system. You got the, the center dial as well. Um, you know, same same steering wheel, same issues that we talked about before with the X-T6 and the CT5 with the, the volume and, and forward and back buttons on the right-hand spoke of the <laughs> steering wheel being in the opposite positions of where they probably should be. Um yeah, you know, what distinguishes the CT4V from other CT4s? You know, other CT4s have the two-liter turbo that you find in a lot of GM vehicles. Fine engine. The CT5 uh, or a CT4V. Uh, just naming. It's just <laughs> drives me up the wall. The CT4V has the same 2.7-liter turbo four-cylinder that debuted last year in the Silverado. Uh, oh. So this one has 325 horsepower, uh, 380 foot-pounds of torque, uh, and it's made it up with GM's 10-speed automatic. Uh, you know, surprisingly for you know what is a pretty large displacement four-cylinder, 2.7 is a pretty big four-banger. Yeah. You know, it's very smooth. You know, you know, no issues at all with vibration. This was not a shaker four. You know, this is this is not like the old days. You know, for for those of us of a, of a certain age who may have driven uh, the classic uh, GM quad four back in the late eighties <laughs> or early nineties. You know, that was an engine that liked to vibrate, uh, especially the first generation before they added balance shafts to it. And that one was only two point three salt, two point three liters. This is a two point seven. So it's a it's a big engine. Those are some big pistons moving around in that thing. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't vibrate. It's very smooth. No issue at all there. It does have um, a bit of a growl to it. Um, you know, like which a is, good growl. Mm, no, it's not a bad growl. But you know, the feeling I got driving this thing. You know, and especially you know for something that 
you know, from what I've become accustomed to over the last decade and a half with V-Series Cadillacs, uh, you know, especially going back to the CTS-V, you know, the couple of generations ago when they first put the, the LSA supercharged V8 in there. But even the, even the ATS-V with that twin-turbo V6 that was in there, you know, 400 and 440 horsepower, you know, those cars were, you know, they were exciting to drive. <laughs> they were a lot of fun to drive. This one... It's fine. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know it. That is it, definitely it not did, what they were going for. It, you know, it it did not. It didn't excite me. You know, That's I don't know crazy. what it was. It just didn't excite me. Um, you know, was hopefully, it was it a handling thing or was it just no? A the handling power? was the handling was good. You know, it, the ride quality was good. You know, it was responsive. It was quick enough, but there was just something about it that felt blah you know it wow and uh, you know that sucks it's a, a bummer you know i think i would have rather had a regular ct4 where i didn't have those expectations that come with that v badge right because i think i, I think i actually would have been happier with that one you know this one you know it's very quiet um you know it didn't have you know some of the nvh issues that i've complained about on some other recent cadillacs um you know, and How I said the, the engine was, was it stiff? No, the suspension was good. You know, it was a nice, nice balance of you know good control, uh, but enough compliance. You know, over rough pavement that it you know it was not annoying to drive. Right. Um, it was. It was just really, really okay. It's <laughs> like coming home. It was exceptionally first okay. First date and saying, "Oh gosh, mom, I don't know." He was he was really nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like the way it looks. You know, I like the way it feels around me. You know, I like the size of it um, and the packaging. But I think, you know, if, if I'm going to get something with a V-badge on it, I just want something that little bit extra, that visceral. Yeah. There's well, nothing it, visceral about this car. Right. It needs to have some kind of an emotional yeah. response that, like, makes that, 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 elicit some kind of emotional response from you and this this one just didn't God. yeah it's a, no it's, it's interesting because we've we've all driven those kinds of cars where we're like we're supposed to love this thing you know or at least it's a bit like it's built for performance or it's built for something and it's always disappointing when the car does not slot in there do you think that they're saving some for that black wing edition? oh i'm sure they are you know i, right. I believe the black wing is probably going to have that twin turbo v6 again um, you know, and that should be coming sometime early 2021, I think. But as you say, but this engine, I mean, good grief, it needs premium gasoline. Like it should be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's got, it's got, you know, decent performance, you know, 325 horsepower, 380 foot yeah, pounds but, of torque. But that does it, but it does... responds, but it just does it in a way that it, it doesn't elicit a visceral. I mean, it just, it's so smooth. Right. That, That's part you know, of the there, problem, though, to right? It. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is that is that you want to have some kind of an emotional attachment to this. Like, I don't mind if the suspension is a little bit tight, you know, like 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 with the, the crazy type R that I'm going to talk about next week. You know, when when I picked that thing up, 
I, you know, as I said, I had just driven over 500 miles. I was exhausted. And the last thing I really wanted to do was drive in a, you know, a, a manual transmission, super, you know, high strung vehicle. But, you know, after a little while I threw it into comfort and it was totally fine. And it was actually really, and, and that's the last time we spent in comfort, yeah. <laughs> but, but you want to have that you know, it was so fun to rev that engine up. It's so fun to drive it and to zip around in it. And that's what, even though this is a stately this, and lovely rear wheel drive sedan, it still needs to have that, that response. You still want to have some kind of an emotional response to it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I think in a way stately almost is, you know, the, the thing to say about that powertrain, you know, like I said, it's got a little bit of a growl to it, but not in a way that really excites you. It doesn't, it's not annoying, but it's not exciting. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I'd rather have it a little almost annoying, right? Yeah. Because at least annoying elicits a response. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and this one just, it, it just didn't do anything for me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, which is which is really a shame, but you know the the CT4V starts at forty four four ninety five. Um, the total price on the one I had uh, was fifty two thousand, including nine ninety five delivery charge. Uh, you know it had the the full suite of um, uh, driver assist stuff, adaptive cruise, blind spot. Um, you know uh, it had uh, really nice uh, interior. Um, the uh, sangria leather with uh, jet black accents, um, and uh, what else? Uh, heated and cooled seats, uh, massaging passenger seat, uh, front nice. front pass front massaging front seats. Uh, although they, they don't have all the modes that that, that this week's car has, but you know, we'll get to that next time. Um, and uh, you know, heated wheel, heads up display. You know, so you know, lot, had all the all the good stuff on it. Right. Um, and you know, I think. I think though, you know, I would I would either take the the standard CT4 with the two liter, or you know, wait for the Blackwing, you know, because this one is just kind of a, a miss. Well, and there's a big gap between the Sport and the V series. I mean, it's it's almost forty thousand to forty five thousand dollars. Yeah. So you know, you're definitely paying for it, and. It looks like on the premium one, you can get the 2.7 liter engine also for 40,000. Oh, so is that an option on there? Yeah, on the premium. Oh, okay. So you can actually get that same engine without the premium. Hmm, okay. The price I mean, premium, I should say. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. I, I think, you know, the two liter is a really good engine. And I, I would probably stick with that. It's yeah, probably not worth the, fascinating. the extra for, for the 2.7, but... So anyway, that's that's the CT4 yeah. V series, um, and then the from that you know I swapped that for a Hyundai Ionic Hybrid uh, Limited. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so the you know the Ionic's been with us for a few years. Uh, got a refresh this year, uh, new front fascia, upgraded interior. Um, you know, especially you know bigger bigger central touch screen and you know redesigned. Uh, screen, you know, area around the screen, you know, feels a little more premium than before. Uh, still not, you know, hugely premium, but, you know, it's nice. Um, and, you know, the Ionic, you know, shares its platform with the Kia Niro. Uh, and, you know, it's a platform that was designed to be electrified uh, across the board. So all the, all the variants of the Ionic and the Niro 
uh, are electrified. The you know base setup is a hybrid, uh, you know, and the Ionic hybrid you know is really you know a direct competitor to uh, the Prius. You but know, you didn't have the plug-in version. Uh, not this time. I have had okay. the plug-in before, okay. uh, which has 27 miles of electric range. So that's a plug-in hybrid. And there's also a battery electric, which right. as part of the upgrades this year, got a little bigger battery and is now up to 170 miles of range. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's a, a, a battery electric you know, that starts at $30,000 before the tax breaks. So. Right. You know, you can you can get that down in the low twenty thousand dollar, you know, twenty three, twenty three, twenty four thousand dollar range, uh, as a full battery electric, which is a really good option. And one hundred and seventy miles is enough for most, you know, the vast majority of people for their 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 driving. Yeah, no, but, that'll definitely cover any number of days. Yeah. So, am I thinking of the wrong one that there was a limited availability? The the plugins the the plug-in hybrid and the battery electric are only available in ZEV states. So in California okay. and the other states that that require zero emission vehicles. Okay, um, but the, so the the hybrid is available nationally. Okay, all right. I've only seen a couple on the road though. They're just not very popular. Yeah, the Ionic has not sold bit, as. Uh, is it, it an availability ha- issue? No, I think it's okay. it just hasn't been as popular as the uh, the Nero. Like okay. The Nero sells about two and a half to three times the volume of the Ionic. Wow. Even though mechanically it's the same vehicle, same wheelbase, yeah. all the same components, but the I you know the the Nero you know is sort of a tallish hatch crossovery kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, whereas this you know is very clearly a five door ha- you know sleek you know fastback hatchback you know very much in the Prius mold but without the weird. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, it's an, it, I think it's an attractive car, but it's, it's a body style and a form factor that the market has just gone away from in the last five years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I think that's probably why Hyundai has decided to move the Ionic name to its new line of battery electric vehicles, you know, in a couple of years time. So that's going to be their, their battery electric sub brand. Um, and you know, this one's, this one's going to go away. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, if you're looking for something that is, you know, roomy um, and reasonably fun to drive, you know, it actually handles quite well, surprisingly well, um, and, you know, nicely equipped um, and really, really fuel efficient. Like this thing is EPA rated at 55 miles per gallon. Wow. Um, I got, you know, and that, that's combined. So 55, 55 city, 54 highway, 55 combined. Um, I, I averaged about 49 with okay. it. Um, which is more than acceptable. Right, um, but you weren't yeah. hypermiling or anything. No, I was. Right? I was not hypermiling. Yeah. I was just driving it, driving it normally yeah. the way I drive anything else. Um, and you know, it's got a lot of equipment. You know, a lot of driver assist stuff is standard equipment on the Ionic as it is on most new Hyundai's now. Uh, it's got right. a ten and a quarter inch um, uh, center touchscreen with built-in nav, wireless charging. Um, you know, for that, that's for the the thirty. Uh, did I say the price? Thirty-two thousand three ten. This is the limited. So this this is loaded. This has all the available options. There's there's no there's no options available on the limited. Everything is standard equipment. You know, you get three years of Hyundai Blue Link. Um, you know, Harman Kardon premium audio. Um, you know, the the powertrain. It's a one point six liter four cylinder, uh, mated with the Hyundai Hybrid system, which you know is using their uh, their six-speed dual-clutch transmission and the uh, motor in between the engine and the transmission. Um, I mean, it looks great. It, yeah, it's it, a good-looking car. 
it it does sort of look a little bit like the Prius. It's, it's not as weird as you say. Uh, it's it's you, got a similar profile to the Prius. Right, it does. From the side, it looks a little bit more Prius-like. Um, I, I will definitely want to drive this because it seems very, very competitive to the Prius. But it mm -hmm. seems like you had a better experience where I felt like the Prius was just a constant compromise. That right. doesn't sound like your experience. No, this, this. One, this there's no no real compromise in this. You know the the powertrain you know is you know very seamless. Um, you know and because you know it's Hyundai's hybrid system rather than using a CVT, they use a conventional mm. uh, step gear transmission. You know in this case a DCT. And some of the other hybrids they use a, a conventional uh, now an eight speed automatic or seven speed in the uh, in the Sonata hybrid. Um, but yeah you know, yeah it's it it feels much more natural. Um, yeah. and, and very seamless. Um, you know, you've got Android auto and CarPlay, the Hyundai infotainment system. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's, you know, it's a nice, it's a very easy to use system. It's a it nice is. interface. Uh, and one thing that Hyundai always does really well is the displays they use for their touchscreens, you know, always really good, you know, very high contrast, bright, um, you know, no glare, uh, you know, and you can see them with polarized sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, un unlike a lot of the Toyota and uh, Nissan displays. It, it's a really, I mean, it's the interior. I'm looking at a picture of the interior now and it looks really nice. Yeah. And yeah, no, that's, and the fuel economy, that's insane. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. So yeah, no, definitely. I would love to try one. Of so this. If, you're, if you're looking for something very reasonably priced, like I said, starting at about 20, a little over $23,000. Um, for the the base, you know, the Ionic Blue, um, you know, and yeah, twenty three thousand two hundred is the the base price, uh, you know, and even that's got you know a lot of features on it, uh, and then you know fully loaded thirty two grand. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then, does it qualify for any tax credits? Uh, not the hybrid, the okay. plug in hybrid, and the battery electric version do. Okay, but, and but, of course, uh, state check with your state because they're not yeah, also so, so qualifying. You, yeah, so it it qualifies for the federal seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on the the plug in versions or for the battery electric. Um, the plug in hybrid, I think, is thirty five hundred. About thirty five hundred. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, uh, you know California and and New Jersey and a few other states have their own incentives as well. Right. Cool. So, so definitely definitely something worth taking a look at. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So in the news this week, um, let's see, where shall we start? Um, let's start with uh, selling EVs in Michigan. Yes. <laughs> Before we talk about a new EV. <laughs> so, you know, and there's about uh, 23, 24 states, I think, where um, Tesla cannot sell vehicles directly to consumers because Tesla does not use franchise dealers. Um, so, you know, we've got this system here in, in the U.S. and a number of other countries have similar systems where manufacturers don't sell direct vehicles directly to consumers. They sell them to franchise dealers, which are independent businesses. Those dealers then sell on to consumers uh, and they provide service and maintenance and everything. Um, Tesla, you know, when they started, they opted to have company-owned stores and not have any franchise dealers. The problem is franchise dealers have been around since the early 20th century. And, um, you know, the owners of dealers, you know, got, you know, fairly affluent and they were able to buy a lot of influence with uh, state 
uh, politicians, which got them laws in place to um, that prevent manufacturers from competing with them. Which, you know, at the time those laws were passed, they made a lot of sense because, you know, the dealers had made a significant investment in, in their dealerships and in equipment and tools, spare parts and everything. And they didn't want to have to p compete directly with the manufacturers who could potentially undercut them on price. Um, so places like Michigan don't allow direct sales by manufacturers to consumers. Uh, some states like California... Um, have franchise laws, but for a new manufacturer coming in that doesn't have any dealers, they can bypass that and go and do direct sales um, as long as they don't have any existing dealers that they're competing with. So up until January of this year, if you wanted, if you were lived in Michigan and you wanted to buy a Tesla, you had to go buy one in Illinois or Indiana or Ohio. Um, and uh, Tesla has been suing the state of Michigan for a number of years, uh, you know, trying to get that law changed. Uh, they finally settled with the state back in January, and they came to a compromise, and the state said, okay, you can um, sell directly to consumers. You're selling because Tesla is mostly selling online now. You can sell the vehicles to consumers, but the cars have to be titled in another state first. And when you do the, the transfer to the, to the consumer, it has to be titled somewhere else. And then the, the consumer can bring it back into the state and retitle it in Michigan. So you'd have to, you know, you'd get the car from Ohio or Chicago or somewhere, um, you know, and bring it back and take it to the Secretary of State's office and, and get a new title, for title, transfer the title to Michigan and get Michigan license plates on it. Um, the state legislature now has a bill uh, that they're working on that would close that loophole so that no other EV manufacturer or no other new new entrant can do the same thing. Um, and um, for some reason, you know, I mean, it's targeting companies like Rivian, which, you know, has a tech center here in Michigan and employs, you know, some 750 people here. But you, if this bill passes, you won't be able to buy a Rivian in Michigan, uh, you know, unless they decide to get some dealers. What do you think? Well, first of all, those dealers can't even be owned by Rivian. So it's not like Rivian can set up shop. Like it's right. not like just, it's, it's not even saying to Rivian, you have to have a dealership. It's that you have to have a franchise yeah. yes, dealership, exactly. yeah. right? Which is not always ideal. And, and, really means that the manufacturer is at the mercy of this franchisee to represent their product correctly, mm -hmm. which is a big challenge because, you know, how many times has somebody gone into the dealership, had a bad experience and said, I'm never buying X brand again. Meanwhile, that experience was, was may have just been local to that specific dealership. The brand itself is still fantastic, but the, those dealers represent, they are, they are the face of the brand. And it's really frustrating for manufacturers if they're having issues with their dealers because then consumers have issues with the brand, but they don't have issues with the brand, they have issues with that dealer. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but, it, but as a general consumer isn't going to But the to dealer is the face of difference. the brand. Exactly, right. So you've got to get that dealer you know, on, on point with what you want to say about your brand. And 
what's happened now, the idea that they're closing that loophole, that Tesla's still going to be able to operate without having dealers, but Rivian and Lucid and others that come in are not, they're going to have to set up dealers. That's just adding an incredible expense already to an already, you know, incredibly capital intensive environment like building a vehicle and, and building EVs in particular. So I think it's unfortunate um, that the precedent that was set with Tesla isn't allowed to carry out its legal course because I think it's putting, it keeps Tesla with a very unfair advantage. And so the playing field is not at all level. And when it comes to the dealers. And so, you know, to have Tesla have this totally separate ruling that nobody else can take advantage of just doesn't seem really very fair. No, I, I agree. You know, I, I think it would be better if we did something like what they have in California, where, you know, if a, if an, if a manufacturer has an existing deal, franchise dealer network, fine, don't let them compete directly right. with them. Uh, but if they're coming in clean, you know, they don't have any legacy dealers, let them set up their own shops. You know? Yes. And, you know, the, the thing about, you know, the, the, this question of company-owned stores versus dealers, you know, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Neither one is a perfect solution. Uh, you know, the reason they that manufacturers got franchise dealers in the first place in the you know, early years of the industry uh, is because, you know, once a manufacturer builds a vehicle and they ship it to the dealer, the dealer owns that car now. Right. The manufacturer is no longer sitting on that inventory. As soon as they ship it to the dealer, they get paid for it. It's considered sold. Yes, it's <laughs> for the manufacturer. It's considered sold. So they're right. they're you know they they got the, they get that revenue right away, and so you know that it's good for the manufacturers for cash flow. You know, for dealers, you know they get a markup on that vehicle, you know, and they get to benefit from other things like, you know, selling service and accessories and things like that. Um, you know, and they, you know, they have relationships with the, the manufacturers through their financing arms to get, you know, financing for those, those vehicles and things like that. Um, and you know, you, it, they make the investment in the real estate, you know, the, the building, the, the equipment, the spare parts, being the dealer, the franchise. The de yes. You know, yeah. And that's, you know, that's many millions of dollars Absolutely. to do that. It's a significant investment right. to do that. Um, and that, you know, the, the manufacturer is offloading that, that requirement onto another business to do that. So there's, there's a benefit to the manufacturer that way. Yes, they're getting less of the revenue. You know, they're, they're taking a hit, you know, because they're selling it for a wholesale price and the dealer, you know, has a markup on that. But they also aren't incurring that cost associated with actually selling the vehicle to a consumer. Right. They, I do think that sometimes they will aid, you know, there, there may be some financial aid that they'll give to dealers. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. know, and again, it's a little bit different when you're starting from scratch. Mm hmm. Right. Asking a dealer to do a, you know, a $5 million renovation on a dealership or even a network of dealers, you know, is, can, can be very, very cost prohibitive. And oftentimes that manufacturer then will have to bear the, some of the, the cost 
for, to it, you know, to get their dealers looking all the same or to get them up to the same standard or such. Yeah. And, you know, for example, um, Cadillac announced last week that <clears throat> all of their dealers, there's 600 odd dealers, are going to be required to spend $200,000 over the next two years to upgrade to support Cadillac's upcoming electric vehicles, starting with the Lyric, you know, and that includes, you know, parts inventory, you know, tools, uh, training, and also installing a DC fast charger on site. Um, you know, so that's, you know, that's money that those, those dealers, those independent businesses are going to have to spend uh, in order to sell Cadillac's electric vehicles. You know, the re part of the reason why Tesla decided to do their own retail network is, you know, one of the challenges for automakers is getting their dealers to actually try to sell EVs <laughs> yes. because, you know, there's this risk of having lower, lower service revenue because that's where a lot of their profit comes from is on Absolutely. the back end on service and accessories and things like that. Not so much from the new, new vehicle sales. Um, so, you know, they, it, the traditional manufacturers have often had a hard time getting their dealers to actually the customers to go and buy a plug-in vehicle instead of a gas fuel vehicle. Well, and it takes longer to sell mm -hmm. an electric vehicle to a customer. Yeah. Yeah. In the show, within the showroom. And so, yeah, cause you got to, you know, explain, you know, teach them all about, you know, how it works and everything. So it, it's been a challenge and, you know, Tesla decided to bypass that with their company owned stores you know, but that also means that now, you know, for every one of their stores, they've had to invest several million dollars, you know, for right. a storefront, you know, and, you know, paying the staff and setting and breaking up leases and breaking leases <laughs> and, um, you know, service service departments, uh, you know, and that's been a huge drain on Tesla. Uh, yeah. You know, that's that's been one of their challenges, you know, in, in reaching profitability. So, you know, it it's it's not, you know, it's having company owned stores is not an easy solution but if a company wants to go down that path i think that you know they should have the right to do that if they don't have any franchise dealers that they're already competing with exactly right i agree i think that they should have the option uh, if they want to do franchisees that's fine if they don't though to have that option i think to have that choice i think is really is important i agree with you so Speaking of electric vehicles, um, as we record this uh, Tuesday night, uh, tomorrow Volkswagen will be unveiling a new electric vehicle. We got a, a look at it today and a backgrounder. Uh, it's the new ID4, which is VW's first purpose-built EV that's coming to the U.S. market. Um, and it's also launching in, in Europe and other markets uh, this fall as well. So, uh, Rebecca, what did you think of the ID4? So I think that this is a really nice looking vehicle. It's sort of like it's it's a it's it's actually very similar to I think in size to the Crosstrek, right? I think it's a uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the it's it's a compact crossover. It's it's actually exactly the same length, 180.5 inches as a Ford Escape, and about half an inch shorter than a Rav4. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit bigger than the Crosstrek. Maybe it's more like the Outback. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think the Outback is closer. But you know what? I just I think it's um, it, it's so from the look standpoint, I like it. It it looks normal. It doesn't scream I'm an EV. Uh, price point forty thousand dollars. I think is really really good. That is before the seventy five hundred dollar uh, federal tax credit that it 
does qualify for. I was a little disappointed in the range of 250 miles because I feel like 300 miles is sort of the, is the preferred number. And it's you know, getting to be the preferred number. Yeah. I mean, right? you know, there's, I, well, there's a bunch of other competitors in that price range, like the, the Chevy Bolt, the Hyundai Kona EV, yeah. the Nissan but Leaf by, Plus. Preferred by consumers. Yes. <laughs> preferred by consumers to see that a three in front of that number. And, and you're absolutely right. Most, most of the competitors Although, are you know, right the, in the that. Te the Tesla Model 3 uh, standard range plus is 260 miles. So, you know, it's not much more. Yeah, but Tesla's always given a minute pass by consumers. That's we're true. like We're talking about mainstream, you know, getting yep. people to look at these things. But so that was the only thing that I was a little bit disappointed about. I, I was surprised that it wouldn't have a three in front of there. Um, I love the fact that there's an all-wheel drive version available obviously living on you know in the east coast northeast in the northeast we get snow and so you know i i think that there's an opportunity here to really draw new people into the ev space i uh, it's you know, I, I like, again, I like the way that it looks. I think it, it's got a lot of good features to it. I think it's got a really good, you know, sophisticated uh, battery pack to it and and that range. And so, you know, I think overall, I, I'm impressed with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, I mean, this, um, this is built on Volkswagen's new MEB platform. So this is their new electric vehicle architecture. That, uh, they already launched uh, the ID3, uh, in Europe, uh, went on started deliveries to customers a few weeks ago, um, and you know the ID3 is a roughly golf-sized hatchback, um, and you know the ID4 is a, you know compact crossover. Um, there's going to be, I think, roughly 75 different nameplates uh, derived from MEB over the next five years for VW's nine nine different car brands um, globally. Yes, globally. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's also going to be the Audi Q4 e-tron coming next yes. year, which is also on this. Uh, the ID Buzz, uh, the the the, the microbus yeah, that's coming in 2022, <laughs> also off this platform. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this, uh, MEB, the the default configuration is rear wheel drive, the electric motors at the rear axle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things about the, the ID4 and the ID3 as well, there's no frunk, no front trunk, um, because what they did was they compressed that space in the front, uh, you know, expanded out the passenger uh. volume, uh, shortened the front overhang. And, you know, so the front uh, area, you know, is taken up just by like the climate control hardware and on the all wheel drive versions, the motor will be down there as well. Uh, the second motor. But, uh, you know, the base, the so they start sales. They mm -hmm. hope to ship uh, some of the, a few first edition models before the end of the year, uh, but then, you know, really go on sale in the first quarter of next year. Um, so the, the base rear wheel drive version, 201 horsepower, that 250 miles range, um, you know, which is not great, but, you know, better than what they got out of the Audi e-tron. Well, right. And, and 250 miles is is completely fabulous oh, yeah. for most for for what people actually need to do with yeah. it. It's just psychologically, you know, that those mainstream people yep. may not and, appreciate that. <laughs> and the, the all wheel drive version is going to be three hundred and two horsepower. Yeah. Um the 
the de the design language that they've developed for their EVs. You know, the the ID three. This is you know very similar kind of look. You know, uh, they're you know one of the things they've mentioned. You know, is you know this transition from chrome to lighting on the front. Mm. Uh, you know, so you've got the signature lighting. You know, around the headlamps and across the front, and you know, on some models, a backlit version of the BMW or the the BMW, the the Volkswagen <laughs> Grill. Uh, you know, I think it's then, a really nice looking vehicle. Yeah, no, I I do. I, I like it a lot. It's got a you know kind of a nice muscular, athletic look to yeah. it. Yeah. Nice, nice stance to it, uh, and I like you know the contrasting roof. You know, which is something we've talked about it's before. Awesome. Yes. Um, you know, and then uh, you know that base price of forty thousand um, dollars. There's two option packages available. Uh, if you load it up, you know that gets you to forty six thousand um, dollars, and uh, actually, the best value, if if you're interested in one of these, the best mm -hmm. thing to do is actually get the first edition, um, because the first edition they didn't say how many there's going to be, you know, maybe a few thousand of these. Okay. But if you get the first edition, it actually the two packages are the statement package and the gradient package. I have no idea why they named them the way they did, but that's what they are. The first edition actually includes everything that's in those two packages. Except for the the light up VW logo on badge on the hood on the front, so you get everything else that's in those two packages that normally cost forty six thousand dollars for forty four thousand okay. dollars. So if you act now, you yes. can save two thousand dollars. <laughs> but wait, there's more. No, uh, well, and there is more. There you get a seventy five hundred dollar tax. Yeah, credit. you get the seventy five hundred if you're in California. You can get another two grand, a couple of grand if you're in New Jersey. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's really good. Oh, and the other thing, uh, they're including three years of unlimited, oh. uh, DC fast charging at electrify America stations. Yes. Um, so, you know, if you don't have a charger at home, you can go to an EA station, you know, for the first three years and, and charge to your heart's content, uh, fast charge and, you know, charge from 5% to 80%, take about 35, 38 minutes. And I think they showed they were showing the lease price. I think it was, was it 349? Uh, three, 379. 379. And then they talked about the fact that what you're saving in gas, it basically will be $50 a month. You yeah. know, if you subtract how much you're saving in gas, they don't go into yeah, what they, the they, cost is for the electricity, but it was yeah, a clever they, way, they, you know. They, they estimate the, the gas savings compared to a Tiguan, which is their other compact right. utility, uh, is going to be about $3,500. $3, a year. Uh, no, over five years. Over five years. So okay. $750 a year in, in fuel savings. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, so 3500 bucks. Uh, you know, if if you use Tesla math um, <laughs> and you take take that off, you know, off the purchase price, you know, now you're down to $29,000, you know, starting price. Um, it's a really good deal. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not cheap. You know, it's certainly not, you know, in as inexpensive as, you know, something like the, the base Ionic or, you know, the, the Crosstrek. But, you know, it's also, you know, it's getting into the heart of that market. You know, the average transaction price on those competitive compact crossovers like the CRV and RAV4 and Escape, uh, you know, is in that low $30,000 range anyway. That's their average selling price for those. Um, so, you're gonna you're gonna end up paying roughly the same, and you're not gonna have any gas, and and for the first three years you may not even have to pay for electricity for it. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I just, I love the fact that, first of all, it's real. Yes. That <laughs> it's, it's not just a concept, but it just, it looks like the kind of car that you would want to drive. It kind of almost reminds me of like a Mazda CX-5 mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of, that like, it's a car that you would, that looks practical, but stylish, um, very urban, very modern, and and yet it happens to be electric. As opposed to trying to force people into something weird, this looks like the, a car that just happens to be electric, you know, yeah. and, is, and, and is good. And, so, you know, I think, you know, the interior is definitely much more modern. Uh, that's This is an area where it's diverged from traditional VWs. Nice. You know, the instrument cluster, it's a digital instrument cluster. It's a 5.3-inch display that's right in front of you. Uh, you know, it has speed and, and things like that, some of your mode information. Uh, you know, on, this, on the right-hand side of that is a, a, a toggle or a, a, ro- a switch to rotate to shift uh, from park to reverse and drive and neutral. Uh, and then there's a... Standard uh, central display is a 10.2-inch uh, uh, display, and then uh, optional is a 12-inch uh, touchscreen display. Um, all of the other controls um, on the steering wheel and on the dashboard are all touch controls, which I'm not crazy about. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it it's going to be interesting. One, one thing that's interesting, it has gesture controls for the touchscreen, so you don't actually right. have to touch yes. the screen. So you, you don't can, have to. You can swipe through the menus just by gesturing with your hand. Uh, we'll see how well that works. Um, you know, I think you still may have to actually touch it to activate the stuff on those menus, but you can swipe through. But you can also do a lot of stuff, or they say you'll be able to do a lot of stuff with the voice controls, which, um, you know, much like uh, a lot of, you know, the other digital voice assistants around you, you can trigger that with Hey ID. Uh, right. And then it, you know, you can control, you know, climate control and audio and other things well, uh, from that. And one of the things that they talked about was it doesn't have a stop start button yes uh when you get in um it's uh you know it it just you know you put it in drive and it goes which is this actually the same as tesla tesla doesn't have a stop start button either you just put it in in part and driver reverse and you go oh okay i didn't but you I have to have the key, you have to have the key fob on you okay um, during the call today, I asked a question. It, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I had that, to drop off. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they actually knew the answer to the question I was asking. But okay. one, the the question I was asking was about ultra wideband, uh, which is a new wireless technology which uh, debuted um, last fall on the new Golf that's available in Europe, which is okay. not being sold here, um, and it's also on the ID3. They both have ultra wideband. Uh, technology for the key fob, which is different from the traditional RF technology. Uh, so <clears throat> the way it works, it's much more secure and okay. much much faster to respond. Interesting. So when you walk up to the car, you can have the key fob in your pocket. Um, and as you approach the car, you know, it'll be able to unlock for you and you can get in. So, you know, like, like a lot of others, but um, the way it works, I'm not going to go into all those details. I'll include a, a link to an article I wrote uh, about that. And there's a good video with um, uh, Lars Rieger, who's the CTO of NXP, who makes that uh, ultra wideband chip. Um, one of the cool things about that, if you have an iPhone, a recent iPhone, like a, an iPhone 11, uh, and presumably other upcoming iPhones, um, there's a chip in there that they call the U1 chip, which is an ultra-wideband chip. The new version of iOS and 
presumably uh, in the not too distant future, Android and, and some Android phones will also have ultra wideband. Um, allows you, uh, the iOS 14 has support for a new standard called digital key. So you can actually use the ultra wideband chip that's in your phone. Once you pair your phone to the car, you can use that as your key. Uh, cool. You don't have to take your phone out. You don't have to unlock it. It's, you know, it's using a very secure communication system. And so you get it, you know, you unlock, you know, the car, um, sit it, get inside, put it in drive and go, you know, very, uh, you know, very quick, very responsive. Uh, so I'll, I'll link to that article in the, uh, in the show notes for this episode. Cool. And then the other thing that they commented on was the wireless experience where they're yes. really trying to make the vehicle a fully wireless experience, yep. including being able to use your phone with my understanding with Android and, and Apple CarPlay yep. wirelessly. Uh, wi wire, wireless Android Auto and yeah. CarPlay. Uh, and then, you know, there's a standard uh, Qi charging pad, wireless charging pad uh, under the dash. So you can just put your phone down there. Don't have to plug it in. Don't have to touch anything. Um, you know, it should be very easy. Um, and, uh, you know, should, and, and you also get five years of, um, connected services, uh, with the car as well. So cool. the first five years are complimentary. No, I'm really excited for this. I'll be, I'll be yeah. very, very interested to see what, uh, consumer responses on it as yeah, well. The, the ID three has been getting pretty positive reviews in Europe, yeah. uh, since they, since they started driving it a few weeks ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying this one out. For sure. All right, let's uh, let's hit a couple of uh, listener emails and okay. call it a night. Okay. Um, so first one is actually just a comment uh, from Jerry Cox. Uh, really enjoyed the podcast and have a question regarding noise and ride. I, actually, it was another one that was a comment, but anyway, uh, <laughs> noise and ride. It's really important to me how a car takes the bumps and how much road noise makes it to the cabin. Can you provide the decibel rating at 65 to 70 miles an hour for the automobiles reviewed? Um, Jerry, we'd love to. Um, <laughs> exactly. If you will send us uh, a, a sound meter, we would happily uh, do that evaluation for you. Um, they good sound meters, good you know accurate sound meters are quite expensive, and uh, you may have noticed that there's no ads on this show yet, um, and uh, we're not getting paid for it. So um, you know anybody that wants to send us a sound meter, we will put it to good use. But unfortunately, right now we don't have that equipment available to us. Uh, so we can't give you those numbers. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great question though. I yeah, love the question. Is. Yeah. And no, we do, and, and we and do we, try as much as possible to, to talk about road noise and such. Yeah. We, we try to give you our subjective evaluations, you know, and when a, when a car has a lot of road noise or a lot of engine noise, um, you know, especially if it's an unpleasant sound, we do try to highlight that. Um, well, point it out. I don't know if I'd say highlight, but sometimes we highlight it. But we do, we do try to give you a, a, an idea of what to expect uh, from this car. Yes. So, all right, next up, Robert Clark. Uh, I'm a pretty new listener, and I wanted to let you all know that I really appreciate the show. Uh, unbiased, honest, and sincere, sincere reviews have impressed me. Uh, when I started listening, I expected you only to recommend high-priced uh, <laughs> vehicles and put down affordable vehicles. You haven't done that. I've been impressed and pleased to hear the review and recommended uh, vehicles of all price ranges. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. That's lovely. Yes. Uh, that's the one that was the comment. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, another one from Blake Swan, who we answered his questions last week, uh, but he's got another one for us, uh, says, um, question for you, uh, do you find Lexus relevant anymore when Genesis is offering new rear-wheel drive-based SUVs and cars, and even Lincoln is offering rear-drive-based SUVs, Corsair aside? Uh, I just like that the... the I just feel like the RX has only gotten uglier and heavier as time has gone on, while keeping the V6, the 3.5 liter V6, as a staple. Surely, uh, someone will catch on and realize the new Rav4 is better in almost all areas than the NX, based on the prior gen Rav4. Still, uh, looked at, looking at the 21 uh, Lexus IS, whatever, uh, whatever with its second refresh, does Lexus Toyota care? Um, the flagship LC500 being the lone exception. Even their sports cars, they pay someone else to make them, are half-hearted. The new Z looks to be everything the Zupra uh, should have been and sadly isn't. <laughs> what do you think? Is Lexus relevant? Well, you know, I, I think we talked about this actually last week when we were going over the, the LC500 that I had because – it, it's such a fantastic vehicle. It's a really good example of what Lexus could still be. The brand itself has been has li been living off of the spoils of the baby boomers for so many decades, really since it started, right? Like, so it started in the mid eighties, right at the time when the oldest baby boomers were moving into peak earning years and they wanted to buy luxury products. They were you know, dedicated to Toyota and they wanted something more luxurious. So Lexus was created the same reason Infinity and Acura was created at the same time. But I think that Lexus has I, you know, they were they were also they were so invested in the RX that was their bread and butter for decades, and now the people that bought the RX are empty nesters and retiring, and they're just you know they're not buying things like the LC five hundred. <laughs> so I think that Lexus is struggling to kind of to stay relevant in in this marketplace that has so many different demographics in it and so many different cohorts. And when you think about the millennials that, you know, they grew up with Lexus and they are not going to buy what their parents bought. So I think Blake has a point. I, I understand his concern for sure, because I, I do think that Lexus uh, is kind of struggling. A, a yeah, bit. I, I agree. You know, trying to, trying to figure out what they want to be going forward. Yeah, and I think this, you know, this is a challenge for any brand is, you know, trying to, to understand, you know, what it what it wants to be, what it wants to represent, um, and and who it wants to appeal to, um, and you know, for something like Lexus, you know, which started off as you know this epitome of refinement and quality, um, you know, is that you know when everything you know has gotten so good. You know, yeah, in, including you know Toyota vehicles, you know that are made by the same manufacturer, and in some cases, you know, in the same plants. Um, you know, is there you know what's what's the place of Lexus anymore? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think, and one of the things I would encourage manufacturers to do is is as they're designing the product to not design for their audience today, but to look out seven years, who is in the marketplace? How are they different than people that are in the marketplace today? And that's a key thing of like, 
uh, of some of the work that I've done in the past, understanding the core values, understanding the growing up experience, understanding, you know, how growing up experiences have impacted uh, the, the people that are coming into the marketplace and those enduring mindsets. And I think that Lexus really, uh, I think that they've struggled a bit in that, in, in evolving, uh, and, and you're always going to go through waves, you know, in a popularity and such, but I think that, you know, they, they are vulnerable to being taken over by even a brand like Lincoln that has great product because at the end of the day, it does always start and end with product the the marketing needs to enhance that and needs to clarify and, and and confirm that product but you can't sell a product that isn't good and and i think that you know and not to say lexus isn't good but you know you've got to sell a product that you believe in and i think that lexus has good product but it's not as exciting perhaps and it may be a little bit more staid than and and hasn't stayed as relevant even though they could you know they there is there is i think the lc 500 shows that there is passion there and there is capability there and, and look what you know they they have done some great things with toyota so it's there it's it's in there it's in their wheelhouse. I think they just haven't really been able to execute as well. And I have to laugh. Blake says, um, I'm a senior financial analyst who also was an auditor in her prior life. Um, just an FYI, uh, Blake, I used to work for the FDIC and I closed banks and I have an accounting degree. So when we talk about people that are in the financial field, we, we do, because he says something about we don't, uh, so don't think finance people don't enjoy splurging on fun cars. <laughs> I would assure you that my FDIC background has not hindered my ability to enjoy fun cars. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with, with, with reference to Genesis, you know, which is part of the original question, you know, while, you know, we have been, you know, we've praised Genesis vehicles uh, profusely over the last several years. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, that Genesis as as good as we think their cars are, um, is still very much, you know, I would grade them an incomplete, yeah. um, you know, because, you know, they, they haven't really been able to get sales ramped up. You know, they haven't well, been the, able, they haven't been able to get the market really excited about it yet. Well, the, I mean, first of all, it's product, right? They're, yeah. they're the GB80 is, we're still waiting. We saw it. It's still not out yet though. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have an SUV in their, in their lineup. They started with two sedans. Sedans are fantastic in the Korean market. They are not appropriate in the U.S. market. And the dealer network, ironically, since we talked at length about dealers, their franchise, they had all sorts of fits and starts with how they were going to roll out this brand. So they didn't have, they, they really didn't have the right product to start with, even though it's really good. It's not, people aren't buying sedans. It's not, it's not the right product for this market it's at this time. It's not the right product, exactly. And then you couple that with the uh, with the, the disruption that they had 
with their dealer network, who was going to get them. Some dealers weren't, weren't going to be getting a Genesis. First, they wanted separate showrooms, which was very, very expensive, as we talked about earlier. And then they said, okay, well, only a certain number of dealers were going to get them. And then that pissed off other dealers. And it just was this kind of escalation. Now, they've actually lost some very good senior people. So Manfred Fitzgerald, is who was the CEO and, and oversaw some of the development of a number of these vehicles, um, he is gone. Luke, whose last name you know how Dr. to pronounce. Ball. Thank you. Um, he has left the company as well. And Luke actually oversaw a lot of the design of these really good products. Sung Yip, one of his, uh, his colleagues, is still there and, and will carry on that, that vision. But you know, they, they also lost a fantastic young designer uh, who did some really cool concepts for them. So they, there is disruption there. They have lost some people that, that kind of had that, that, that stabilized the vision. And now those people have moved on. So it's definitely a company in transition. Uh, we'll see, we'll see where, where they end up. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hope they succeed. You know, because absolutely they've, they've done some great products, um, and they've got more more coming. So absolutely, it's it's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's it's always a challenge getting a new brand up and running, just as it's a challenge perpetuating an old brand. You know, it's not yes. easy to it's not easy to keep a brand relevant. Um, you know, Cadillac yep. has struggled with it. You know, Lincoln struggled with it for a long time. They seem to have found their way in recent years um to to a large degree but you know even that you know we'll see if they can keep that going keep that momentum going right because the product the product for lincoln is there yeah but and sales are improving for sure um but i do still think that they're they they still have a lot of work to do oh yeah absolutely yeah. all right well thank you everyone for your letters keep them coming in uh we yes. love we love having that stuff to talk about um and uh you know if you if you like what you hear you know give us a rating somewhere on apple podcasts or whatever you know whatever you listen to and uh if you happen to be an amazon music listener uh wheel bearings is now available in the podcast section on amazon music uh, i didn't even know that how yeah, it just that's it just exciting. launched it just ah. launched recently and i made sure to get the show in there and oh that's it's also, amazing it's also on spotify if you listen to podcasts there and and then you know whatever podcatcher you use all the yes. there's links to all that stuff on wheelbearings.media just click on the uh, at the top of the page on the subscribe to the show you'll find links to a, a bunch of the most popular podcast players and and services where you can find us yep and follow us on twitter yep. and um all good things and dan will probably be back with us next week unless right. he gets trapped under something heavy <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody bye right. thanks everyone bye Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.